Come on, Church on the Hill. How's everybody doing this morning? Come on. Come on. Man, it is such a joy to get to serve here at Church on the Hill and serve you guys. We meet people all the time who are like, man, we've been praying for a church just like this. That's multi-ethnicity. That's multi-generational. Come on, we are, we are a little slice of heaven. As Pastor Adam always likes to say, I'm serious. You guys are fighting for something unique and that's something people are looking for. And so if you look to the people next to you and say, hey, you're part of it. I'm a part of it. We're in it together. And so it's, it's just a beautiful thing that we really get to be a part of. And I'm so honored that I get to, to serve here with you guys and just really be a part of what the Lord is doing here at Church on the Hill. If you got your Bibles, get them out and turn them on this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. We're going to be in the 6th chapter of Matthew, the 33rd verse. We're in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. That's what it says right here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. In case you didn't know where we're at, we're in the 6th chapter of Matthew, that 33rd verse. And so all my teachers know exactly what's happening here, those, those ADD kids. Here we go. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. One more time. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And Jesus talking, he's talking to the people, and right before this, to fully understand what's happening right here in chapter 6, you have to know what's going on right before this. Jesus is talking to these people, to a group of people, and they're worried just like anybody else would be about where they're going to live, what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, all of those things. It seems that the things that, that, that we need to survive, shelter, fire, water, and food, right? And they're concerned about these things as they should be. And Jesus, he has this answer for them. And he tells them all of this right before here in chapter 6 of Matthew. And he tells them, he says, hey, look, the birds of the field and the air, they don't worry about what they're going to eat. They don't go and harvest grain and store it up in a barn somewhere. No way. The Lord feeds them. He says, how much more will I feed you? He says, how about the lilies of the field? They don't worry about what they're going to wear. They don't labor for their clothes. But even Solomon in all of his splendor. Isn't even dressed as one of these. He says, how much more will I take care of you? I provide shelter for everything. He says, how much more will I take care of you? And he tells them this. He says, don't worry about any of those things. He says, but seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. He says, if you will go after me, if you will pursue me and my righteousness, then all of those things that you seem to worry about, all of that stuff will take care of itself. Everything else will just begin to line up into what that looks like. And as, we, as we're talking about, the title of today's message is going all in. It's all in of what that looks like. A lot of times we have to have an all-in type of faith to get that, to seek his kingdom. To go after that. To not want to put our hands on exactly what it is that we want to do. We have to say, all right, Lord, I'm going after you. Lord, I'm, I'm going to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And you said that you would add everything else. So you know what? I'm not really going to worry about what kind of car I'm driving right now. Lord, I'm really not going to worry about what my house looks like right now. Lord, I'm really not going to, and this is the one I struggle with the most, what I'm going to eat right now. I'm already thinking about lunch right as I'm finishing up breakfast. I'm like, Lord, man, I want an elote tonight. It's like, oh, I'm texting Myrna. Hey, we're going to Fuel City. Elote's on, right? She's like, yes, I like to eat. I like food. And I'm thinking about the next meal when I'm, while I'm in the middle of my first meal. And so I like that. I said, so, you know what, Lord? I trust you. I trust you that somehow you're going to provide me with tacos de chicharrón y tripa tacos. 
Lord, you're going to have me carne asada. Lord, I trust you. I'm serving Church in the Hill. Lord, you see that. Provide me with your blessing of tacos, right? So it's like, Lord. But we have to have an all-in type mentality with doing this. Football season is upon us. Any football fans in the room? Yes. Any, any sinners that like the Cowboys? Anybody in the room? Oh, a few. A few. My gosh. Y'all offensive lines look a little weak so far. And the season ain't even started yet. But I'm a football season. Football fan, we are a football house. My wife loves football just as much as I do. And so, man, when football season hits us for 16 weeks, man, we're, we're tuned in. We love it. And at the end of football season, I kind of have withdrawals, right? I go back to ESPN, and I'm waiting for football highlights, and, and they're not there. And so I was flipping through one night. It's about 1030 at night. We're decompressing after something, and, and I'm, just, I'm just flipping, and I go to ESPN. And I'm like on ESPN 9. Now, they have so many of them now. And, and as I get there, there's the World Series of Poker. I'm not a poker fan at all. And so I was like, man, how boring is this? I would hate to be the guy that's like a, a, an intern for commentary, and you have, to, you have to commentate a poker game. That's just, it's like, it's like really boring. It was just, and he's got a spade. Ooh, look at the face of concentration. Ooh, that's a diamond. Right? I was like, what is the world is this? So boring. And I wouldn't have stayed on the channel had it not been for one individual. And I didn't know what his name was, so I Googled creepy poker player glasses man. And that's him. <laughs> had it not been for that guy, I didn't know who, I, I wouldn't have, I would have left. But this guy is sitting across the table. And he's just looking at people like that with these weird lizard glasses on. I was like, what is this guy doing? And he's sitting there, and, and there's like three guys left. And, and his name now is Fossil Man. That's what they call him, Fossil Man, because he collects dinosaur bones, right? So very strange individual that was obviously pretty decent at, at poker. And he's sitting there, and he's sitting at the table to win a million dollars. And he's sitting there, and, and I really don't know what's going on, but this guy's got me. I was like, man, this guy... I want his glasses. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm intrigued now to see what this guy does. And he's sitting there. He's just got this weird blank stare on his face except for those weird demon eyes. And he's just sitting there. And, and, and they, they go in and, and one guy folds. And, and so I was like, oh, okay, cool. So that guy quit. So there's only two guys left, the fossil man and somebody else. And so they're going in there, and I'm watching it for about the next 10 minutes as Fossil Man gets these cards, and he's looking at them, and the other guy gets his cards, and he's looking at them, and they're flipping cards, and, and Fossil Man's got a lot of pile of chips, and the other guy's got a lot of pile of chips, and all of a sudden, the commentator says in a very exciting voice, Ladies and gentlemen, he's doing it. I was like, what is this? And he pushes all his chips in. He's going all in, right? He's going all in. And he pushes them in there, and he, and, and he puts his cards down. The other guy looks at it, and they flip their cards over. And somehow he won. I don't know. He was playing Uno cards. He had Uno. He won. He, he, he was a winner. He won a million dollars in that moment, a million dollars. And he looks there with the same smug look on his face, you know, with those weird demon glasses on. And I started to think, man, a lot of times in our Christian walk, it's a very similar thing to that. See, in order to, be, in order to go all in, you have to fully believe in the hand that you're holding. You have to believe that the cards that are in your hand are something of value. You have to believe in it enough that you say, hey, man, look, the, these two cards that I got, these five cards that I got are worth so much. I'm willing to put everything that I have right now on the line, and I'm putting it all in. And a lot of times in our Christian walk, we look at what the Lord's dealt us, and we say, ah, I don't have much worth to it. And so because of that, we say, hey, look, Lord, I'm not going to go all in for you. I'm not going to do that. And Jesus encounters three guys like this in Luke chapter 9. 
And in Luke chapter 9, the, the beginning all throughout Luke chapter 9, it reads like a highlight reel of Jesus. It's awesome. As you go back and read it, Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's recorded in Luke chapter 9. The transfiguration where Jesus is there and, and, and Elijah and Moses appear, it's there in chapter 9. As Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy, it's there in Luke chapter 9. As Peter, as he comes to the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, that's there in chapter 9. As Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they answer him, some say you're Elijah or a prophet of old. And, Peter, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, I say that you are the Son of God, the Messiah. And Jesus tells him, man, upon that revelation right there, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's Luke chapter 9. All of that happens right there. Jesus' popularity is building. If he had an Instagram account, it would be blowing up. His Snapchat, Twitter, it'd be going live, man. Hashtag Jesus walks would be trending. It would just be, it would just be going. He would, be, he would just be going at it. And so because of that, in the, in the day, he's building momentum, and people want to join the Jesus movement. People want to be a part of that. And at the end of Luke chapter 9, in verse 52, we run into three guys. Excuse me, in verse 57, we run into three guys. And, and they, 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 run, they run across them on a very inconspicuous place. It says, as they were going along the road. It was, it was no, no place of notoriety. It was nothing like that. Jesus is on his way somewhere else. And they're going along the road. And these three men approach Jesus. And this is the interaction with the first man. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, being Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And in verse 58, Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head. He replies with him. The guy asks him a question, I will follow you wherever you go. He tells him that. He makes that proclamation to him. Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus doesn't say, all right, let's go. Sign the waiver. we got to make sure we get your $500 deposit for all places we're going to stay. He doesn't do anything like that. He doesn't say anything. He tells him, hey, look, bro. Look at this. The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He saw something in that man. He said, let me tell you something. You're not willing to sacrifice what it takes to be on my team. You're not willing to give up your convenience of everything that it takes to be on Team Jesus. He tells him that. He said, hey, man, look, we don't live a life of convenience. These 5,000 people that we just fed, that was a miracle straight from my dad. Those 12 baskets that all my, my dudes walked away with, that's a miracle. He says, let me tell you something. When we go to a new city, we don't know where we're going to stay. We don't know where we're going to eat. The Father provides the life that we live. Man, it's just not for you. The man hadn't counted the cost. The second guy, they interact right here in verse 59. And he said to another, follow me. Jesus calls this guy. He calls out to him, follow me. If Jesus calls out to you, follow me. Oh, my gosh, I'm there with it. Right? And this is what happens in verse 59. He says, follow me. But he said to Jesus, he's replying back to him, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, allow the dead to bury their own. But as for you... Go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And see, this would seem like a, like a really strange interaction. If Jesus, he, he asks him to follow me, he asks him, and then he says, but first, Jesus, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead go bury their own. If you don't understand what's happening right there, you can misread that. Say, man, that was real mean, Jesus. You roasted that guy. That's crazy. But what happens is, is in Jewish culture, 
What's happening here is a burial, a death of somebody, especially a father, supersedes anything else. It doesn't matter what tradition they got going on, Passover, they would skip it. They, they, would, they would say, hey, we got to take care of the burial. That is so important in Jewish culture. And Jesus understood that. He said, let me tell you something. Hey, you need to go and take care of your dad. You need to go and take care of those family affairs. But let me tell you something. Everywhere you go, proclaim my name. And he sends him off. And this third guy that they interact with, right here in verse 61. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. How many of you guys ever stuck your foot in your mouth when someone said, hey, what are you doing on Saturday? You say, nothing. And he said, well, I need you to help me move. He said, oh. And now you got to backpedal out of that, right? It's like, oh, well, I got to check with my wife. My kid's got a thing, you know. I got this, this thing on my foot, you know, it really hurts. I won't be much used to you. I got a truck, right? I've been a victim of truckism more times in my life than people just want me for my truck. They're like, hey, you still got that truck? Uh, no. Right? So when people ask me now, what are you doing on Saturday? I said, why, what you got going on? So, <clears throat> oh, we're having a moving party? That's okay. That's okay. No, but, but a lot of times what happens is we'll get in the midst of it, we'll commit to it, and they say, well, well this is what it all entails. We say, oh, I don't want to be a part of that. No, and you do your best to backpedal out of it. And that's what Jesus notices about this guy. He says, but first, let me go home. Let me, let me have this, this going away party because I don't know when I'm going to be back. And you know what? I really got really to settle up some of my bank accounts. And you know what? My identity got stolen about seven months ago. And I'd hate for that really to kind of mess up, you know, Jesus, Inc. I'd hate for my name to be a part of that. And all of a sudden, we got financial problems, Jesus. Judas is mad at me. We don't want that. And Jesus says, you know what, man? Don't even worry about it. As the guy begins to make up excuses. He begins to make up excuses on what it would take to go all in with him. See, a lot of times we want to go all in. We see that it looks good, but there's things that are holding us back. There's things that are keeping us from going all in. Jesus said, hey, man, look, I gave my entire life for you. I died for you. Would you live for me? And we say, all right, Lord, I want to go all in for you. But the moment we begin to look at what that looks like, we begin to get scared. We begin to pull away. There's four things I believe that keep us from going all in. I want you to write these things down as you go through them. The first one is this right here. Is past hurts. Past hurts. Say, well, what does that mean? Past hurts. Things that have happened to you in your past. Things that you're hanging on to that hurt you from long ago. One day we were working outside here at the church, and this lady rolled up in, in her truck. I don't know if she saw a brown dude doing manual labor. She's like, hey, you own a lawn service? I was like, hey, look, I'm a pastor. You know, so it's, <clears throat> she just rolls up, you know, profiling me. And she rolls up, she says, hey, how much you charge to trim trees? I was like, uh, not enough, right? So I was like, so I, I just began to talk with her. She's like, you go to this church? I said, yeah, yeah, I go to this church. She said, oh, is it a non-denominational church? I said, yeah, non-denominational spirit-filled church, absolutely. And she says, oh, okay. I said, we're a small group-based church. And she said, oh, never mind. I said, well, what, do you, what do you mean, never mind? You know, what is that about? She said, oh, no, 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 no. I had a small group leader. I won't do that again. I was like, what do you mean you won't do that again? She says, no, I just began to talk to her. I said, well, what do you mean you ain't going to do that again? She said, no, my, my small group leader, she, she, uh, I, I shared some things that were happening with my family. She put in an email to the whole church and let everybody know. My family was in ostracized, and my son was struggling with some mental health stuff, and the church ended up being a place where we couldn't go anymore. She's like, so I'm, I will never do small group again. 
So you make sure you tell your smart. I said, whoa, 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 lady, look. I said, hey, just because you had a bad experience doesn't mean that they're all bad. Doesn't mean that, that that's it at all. See, I know Tony and Amy Thomas have the Brooks in their small group. And I know when Mr. Brooks, as we did a video with him for Miracle Week and talk about the miracle that had happened on his insides, he had a crazy surgery. He stood up and testified. So let me tell you something. If it wasn't for my small group, my spiritual family that was there with me during one of my most difficult times, I wouldn't be here. It wouldn't be, I wouldn't be there. See, our past hurts keep us away from things like that. See, a lot of times we let our offense with the middleman contaminate our relationship with the supplier. We, we, we let our offense with somebody here in church affect our relationship with Jesus. I got a friend that I served with, man, as we started getting, just serving Jesus with everything that we had. He let an offense get in the way. He walked away from Jesus and hadn't been bad since. So how in the world are you letting that relationship with some middleman, some guy that represents God, affect your relationship with the one who created you? This is what it says right here in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. It says, love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. It says that, man, love prospers when a fault is forgiven. But how many of you guys dwell on that thing? You should begin to think about it, think about it, think about it. It says that, that dwelling on it separates close friends. The second thing is this right here, flirting with the glory days. Come on, some of you men remember what it was like playing football, and you ran that 440, right? Come on, now you run that 40 in four minutes, right? And it takes you four days to recover. And so it's that 444, you know? And some of you ladies, you still have those jeans that you used to fit on. You call them nose jeans, and those are your gold jeans. And those are the jeans that one day you'll fit into again. Had it not been for the three babies, had it not been for this, had it not been for that, I'd fit into those jeans, right? And so you keep them as like a gold, like one day I'll be there. You keep them like in a little shrine, you know what I'm saying? Don't touch those jeans, right? And so a lot of times we flirt with our past and, and what our sin used to be like. We'll be sitting down watching the game and say, my gosh, I remember, I remember one of the best times watching the game was sitting in the bar drinking a beer. And you begin to reminisce on what that was. And it's so dangerous to begin to flirt with that. To begin to, when you're having a spat with your wife, all of a sudden say, hey, man, well, it wasn't like this with that girl I dated in college. Had it, had it, had it not been for, for that one thing, maybe I could have laid my pride down. And let me tell you something, we didn't, we didn't fight like we did here. And we begin to flirt with, with what used to be, what we call the glory days, how it used to be. We begin to flirt with that. So much so that 20 to 30% of all divorces now involving infidelity involve Facebook. See, before, 15 years ago, there was no connection back to your past. But now, man, you can do a quick internet search. You can find anybody you want to. So 20 to 30% of all divorces that, that are involved fidelity now involve Facebook, so much so that there are lawyers that are experts in Facebook. They, they, they're like Facebook forensic investigators. They, they, they specialize in cyber forensics because they're having to go back and scour uh, uh, messages and posts and all sorts of stuff so they can gather all the legal evidence to decipher what's going to happen with this divorce. See, so guys, we've got to stop flirting with the days of old. Those days are gone. Lord's got something new for you. We have to go for it. We have to go say, Lord, look, man, I, what I had, what I thought was good, let me tell you something, what you got for me now is going to be even better. We have to go for it. That's what it says here in James chapter 4, verse 4. It says, you adulterers, do you not know that friendship or flirting with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And don't flirt with it. Don't flirt with it. The third thing is this right here. 
is sin. Man, it keeps us from holding, it keeps us from going all in. It seems like there's no way I could do that. I still struggle with this. I still struggle with that. Let me tell you something. You will still struggle with that. You will still struggle with this as long as you keep it hidden and you don't get it out. <clears throat> I struggled with, it, with a sickness about a month and a half ago. I went to the doctors. I felt like I was dying. I WebMD'd it. I Googled it. I said, WebMD, tell me what's wrong with me. It said, there's three things that could possibly be wrong with you. Number one, you got a cold. I said, well, duh. Number two, you have the bubonic plague. I was like, nah. Number three, you're suffering from cancer. I was like, ah, oh, no, heck no. I didn't know those things, WebMD. And so I go to the doctor. I book my appointment with the doctor, and I'm sitting in there. And doctor's appointments are always pretty, pretty awkward, right? Because they walk you to the room. They weigh you first, and then she judges you. You know, it's like, <laughs> like muscle makes more than fat, right? So I was like, leave me alone. <laughs> leave me alone. So I'm standing there, and I go to the room, and, you know, they're taking my temperature, you know, and they, they, they scan my thing, you know, and they're like, oh, you're healthy. And I was like, except for that, I'm sick. That's why I'm here. If I was healthy, I wouldn't be here. So I'm sitting there in, in, the, in the doctor's office, like, look, if I'm, then they leave you by yourself for, like, like five minutes, you know what I'm saying? And so, and so I'm sitting there, and I was like, look, if I'm going to sit here for five minutes, I'm going to be productive. So I became, I was like, I'm going to become an expert in the inner ear. So I begin to read through everything in the inner ear and study the diagram and the model. And, but yeah, it hurts right there. Yep, that's exactly right. And so I begin to look at it, and then, and then from there, you know, you sit on the things. Like, just have a seat up on the, th- on, the, uh, on the table there. Well, they put the tissue paper on it, and so it doesn't matter what you do. And so you just feel, I just feel real awkward, you know? And I was running a fever, so my palms were sticking to it. And I was like, dude, this just looks gross, man. So, so the doctor comes in there, and the doctor opens the door. He's like, hey, Mr. Pena, how are you doing? And that's like the most terrible question to lead into with a, with a, with a patient that you know is sick. You know what I'm saying? It was like, how are you doing? Terrible. Doing bad. I'm about to pay you a lot of money to tell me what's wrong with me. Why would you ask me that question? I feel terrible. And we sit there, and he, he begins to ask questions. You know, how are you sleeping? No, I'm not. I'm not doing that. Um, or how's your breathing? I'm not doing that either. You know, and so, <laughs> so he begins to ask me all these questions in order so that he can properly diagnose me. He needs to know what's wrong with me so he knows what kind of medicine to give me. He doesn't want to give me, you, you know, dental pain medicine. Oh, you're struggling with the, uh, with the flu. Well, here's some Orgel. See, call me in six weeks if this don't work. No, it doesn't do that. But a lot of times, that's the way we approach our small group leaders and our pastors. We'll come in there and, and we'll begin to ask them questions. Well, how are you doing? Well, that's none of your business. <laughs> okay, sorry. Well, uh, well, how's your marriage doing? Oh, my gosh, how dare you ask that question? Can you imagine if I were to do that with a doctor? He comes in and says, hey, do you have any pain right here? Don't touch me. Could you imagine? He's like, all right, all right, I'm just going to put my hand on your abdomen. I'm going to push. Do not touch me. You know, like, like, no way. There's no way he'd be able to properly diagnose you if you're not honest with him. See, the only power a secret has is that it remains a secret. The moment a secret is out, it loses all of its power. It loses all of its power. So the moment you begin to be honest with people and you say, hey, look, man, these are the things that I'm struggling with. The Lord can say, all right, cool. Great, we can move you past that. There's no longer a fear that's holding you back. This is what it says right here in James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. In order to be healed of something, you have to first be sick of something. As he's alluding to, he said, hey, man, your sins are making you spiritually sick. You need to confess those things one to another so we can properly diagnose you. We get you treated and we get you on, on the road of health. Not so we can gossip about you. Not so we can know about you. No way, man. We want to see you healthy. Number four is this right here. It's comparison. You begin to compare yourself 
to others. You begin to compare yourself to, to your small group leader. Well, man, my small group leader, they're so good. Oh, my gosh, they're so amazing. There's no way I could ever lead a small group like them. You begin to compare yourself to Pastor Adam and say, there's no way I could ever preach like Pastor Adam. There's no way. There's no way I could ever lead worship like Lance. Oh, he's so good. And the way he dances on stage, oh, so amazing. I don't know if you're jealous of his dance moves, but anyways, you just, just the way he sings and plays that guitar. He would say that. He'd say, oh, my gosh, let me tell you something. Do you know I think we serve a God that's big enough? If he needed another Adam McCain, he would have made one. Do you not think that if he needed another Lance Byler, he would have made one? Let me tell you something. You know what he did make? He made you. He needs you to be you. He needs you to finally say, you know what, I'm going all in. Let me tell you something. The gifts that are locked inside of you are so needed for the body. The thing is, you're too busy wondering and speculating what cards everybody else is holding to look at the great cards that you have right in your hand. Lord, say, hey, man, I need you to play those cards right now. I need you to play those cards for such a time as this. I need you to play those cards, man. Quit speculating what everybody else has. You need to play the hand that you're given because that's the best hand that you have. Guys, I'm telling you, man, if we're going to go all in for Jesus, we got to stop comparing ourselves to others. There's no way. You can't do it. You can't do it. When we first started Church on the Hill, we had uh, Pastor Adam said, I want you to take over the youth ministry. And what he meant by take over the youth ministry, he meant start it because there was nothing. And so, so we're like, okay, here we go. We're going to start this. What does it look like? And so we, we began to make it from scratch. We called it the Ezekiel Project because we didn't know if it was going to work. And a project sometimes can remain unfinished, right? <laughs> so I gave myself an out, you know. So it's always built in there. But as, as we begin to start it, you know, the director of, of the school of youth comes to our church. He oversees YFN. How intimidating that is. Like, oh, my gosh, travels the nation, speaks. Our pastor used to be the premier youth speaker. And as, as I begin to, to start and pioneer what the Ezekiel Project would look like, it was so intimidating. Oh, my gosh, wondering what, what other experts thought. But let me tell you something. They didn't have the skills and the giftings that it took to start something where I started it. Which is not, not that I'm something special, but let me tell you something. The Lord put a, a desire in me to plow, a desire in me to, to just take ground and to make it happen with no resources, with limited resources. Let me tell you something. We ended up building something that's actually pretty cool. And I look back on it now. I said, Lord, had I just sat there and compared myself to everybody else, I wouldn't have moved. I wouldn't have moved. I would have, I would have sat there and blamed and said, I don't have what they have. There's no way I could do that. I don't have what they have. I can't do that. I looked at what we had and said, this is all we got. We make the best of what we've got. And let me tell you something. The moment you put that in the Lord's hands, he takes it and multiplies it exponentially. God, there's three things that I want you guys to do. If we're going to go all in, there's three practical steps that we got to take. I want you to write these three things down. The first one is this right here. Is you got to join the cause. It's easy to critique the team on Monday after Cowboys loss than it is when you're in the middle of it. I love listening to 105.3 The Fan on a Friday, right before a Cowboys game, and then a Monday after a Cowboys loss. Love it. Because the same guys that call in saying the Cowboys are the best, they're going to win, are the, Cowboys, are the same fans that come in and calling in on Monday saying, get rid of Zeke, he's terrible. And so I'm like, this is the best. I love it. And because everybody's an armchair quarterback on Monday. Everybody wants to critique it. Once it's all done, oh, well, if I was there, it would have been done like this. If I was there, it would have been done like that. Let me tell you something. You're not on the team. You don't know what it costs. You have no idea what it was really like practice Monday through Saturday, prepping, studying the playbook, making it happen. You have no idea. The moment you join the cause, you got some skin in the game. 
the moment you join the cause, you begin to say, all right, look, this is the way it looks. It wasn't like the way I saw it. Let me tell you something. If we're going to go in, you've got to get on the team. You've got to join the cause. You've got to get plugged in to what we're doing. A lot of times we don't do that because of a selfish mentality. We say, well, how is it going to serve me? How is it going to benefit me? Let me tell you something. When Jesus says that the foxes have no holes, have holes, but, and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man, let me tell you something. It will cost you something. It, it, it will. It will be a sacrifice. Well, I, I, got an op- I had an opportunity to go on a, on a fishing excursion, something that I want to do my entire life. We went up to the boundary waters of Minnesota, the, the, the space in between the United States and Canada. There's a bunch of little ponds, lakes, things. And we had to go there, and we packed everything in, and we packed everything out. We did these things called portage. I had no idea what a portage was until this day. And if you hear the word portage and something you're going to do, just run from it. Don't do it. Just don't do it. It's a terrible thing. You have to put all your stuff in a canoe and carry it across land into more water and then again more land. It was terrible. It was, it was, it was horrible. But we got there, and we're fishing. And, I, and I'd never done this before. I came in as prepared as I thought I could be, and, and I brought some pants, and I brought some water boots. My water boots were, were like mid-calf. He's like, no, you need full knee. I was like, what is this? This is like freaking Bear grills. Like, oh, my gosh, I didn't sign up for that. I just want to catch some fish. That's all I wanted to do. And we're sitting there, and, and, and me being a novice, I had gotten all my pants wet. All my socks were soaked. I, I, I'd swam in the water more times than I should have been. And so we're on the last day there. My buddy said, hey, man, we need to keep your last pair, pair of pants dry, your socks dry. You, we just, just stay in the canoe. Don't even worry about it. Every time I get out, something bad would happen. And so we're standing there, and he's like, all right, we come into this waterfall. And he's like, I got to push you. I got to pull you across this thing. Just hang in there and keep your balance. I was like, all right. So he begins to pull the canoe across. And he's doing it, he's going backwards, and there's this, there's this log that's sticking out. And the moment I begin to yell at him and say, hey, watch out, he trips and falls and goes down this waterfall. And so I, I'm so scared that, that the canoe's going to go down on top of him, I had to make a decision in the midst of it. I said, you know what, i got to either get in the game right now, or my friend, he, he's potentially going to get hurt. So I hopped out and said, you know what, I don't care if I get wet, I don't care what it looks like. My selfishness has now caused someone else pain. So I got out, rescued him. I was like, now you're the one that's wet. You're making fun of me that's all wet. And so, but I felt so bad. But you know what? I had to get in there. That's the same thing. Guys, we got to join the cause. We need you. We need you. There's, we, we, we got so many people coming to church, and we're not building small group leaders fast enough to take them all in. We need you. you got to join the cause. you got to go all in. This is what Scripture says right here. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. That's out of Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 20. He says, man, lay your treasures up in heaven. Everything else here, you know what, it, it's temporary. Man, lay your, your, your treasure up in heaven. Come on, let's join the cause. The second thing is this right here. Remove the excuses. If you're going to go on, you've got to remove the excuses. There will always be a good reason not to. Always. Always. Hey, you should join the Grow Chat. Start on Sunday nights. Come on. Oh, no, my kids got to go to bed early because they got school. It's too small. Uh, yeah, that's a good excuse not to. Why don't you start a small group? Oh, my house is too small. My husband works late. That's a good reason not to. See, there will always be a good reason not to, but we have to remove the excuses. My wife and I served as full-time missionaries for about five years at the beginning of our marriage, and we would travel all throughout Latin America, Colombia, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Mexico. And one day when we were there, we're, we're hanging out with the missionaries. We're going to go to this brand new spot, and, and, and we're hanging out with the missionaries. And say, hey, look, I just want to prepare you. It's nothing like, you, like you've, you've helped that before. It's nothing. And I said, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, they actually meet in a dump. 
It's like, what do you mean? They have a building at the dump? Like, no, 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 no. There's no buildings, no electricity, there's nothing. So we get there, and, and I'm doing my best to prepare myself for what I'm about to see. I've never been anything like that before. <clears throat> and as we get there, we, we find ourselves in the line of, of, the, of the, the trash trucks going to the dump. And we pull in there, and we, and we see the pastor, and, you know, and he, he's dressed like, like a pastor would be, you know, just, you know, nice, nice pants and shirt and stuff like that. And we, got, and we get to talk to him, and I, and I just begin to, just to interact with him through a translator. And I say, how long have you been doing this? He says, we've been doing this five years. And I said, wow, five years. I said, what prompted you to do this? He said, well, we used to pastor, and we're still affiliated with the church uh, just down the road in another city. He said, but we would have all these people from, from the dump come to our church, and it was so hard for them to come. He said that we just said, me and my wife said, you know what? We're just going to start something at the dump. I said, well, what does that even look like? He says, you're looking at it. He says, we just get the people here, they sit down, and we preach the word. We bring them stuff, food, water. We do our best to give them clothes and things like that. But we just minister to the people here. I said, well, where do they come from? He said, what do you mean where do they come from? I said, well, where, is there a city that's close by? He says, no, 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 no. This is where they live. They live here at the dump. And as we begin to call them out, he says, we're going to go get some people. And we begin to walk around and call these people. We're walking in the middle of trash piles, giant trash piles. And we're walking out there, and people begin to come out to this area that he had. And we just begin to, just to, to share the gospel with them, just to be nice with them, play with the kids. And all of a sudden, we, we start our service, and, and we begin to share and just begin to tell testimonies, you know. And everybody's intrigued to see blonde-haired people. You know what I'm saying? When you're, when you're in Latin American country, they're just intrigued to see blonde hair, touch your hair. and all I don't have that problem. I look just like them. But, you know, but they, they, they would be intrigued to see, to see blonde-haired people. So they would just come and sit. And about halfway through what we were doing, the, the, these trucks begin to roll through. And all of a sudden, half of the people got up and left. Like, what, what, did we say something wrong? You know, what's going on? It's like, no, 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 no. Those are, those are the trash trucks. They come, and, and whenever they come, the people go to get the newest stuff that's off the trash truck. They go through there, and they'll go pick up the stuff that's fresh from, from the homes. Begin to ask this pastor, oh, my gosh, man, why are you doing this? He says, you know what? We just saw the need. See, there's so many excuses on why that man shouldn't be doing what he's doing. He doesn't have a building. There's no electricity. When it rains, they don't have service. It's dusty. It's noisy. It's all of those things. But the man said, you know what? I see the need. I see the need. He said, you know what? Me and my wife, we're just going to go for it. They removed every excuse that they could have had, and they just went for it. You know, let me tell you something. Those people, don't, they don't have any money to tie. They don't have anything like that. But you know what they do have? They have the joy of the Lord. And it's given to them by a man that said, you know what? I see worth in you. Jesus died for you. He values you, and I'll see that in you also. The third thing is this right here. If we're going to go all in, third and final thing is we have to invest daily. You have to invest in it daily. You have to go after God daily. You have to read your Bible daily. You have to pray daily. It's a daily investment. See, you don't see the return on an investment right away. Sometimes you don't see the return on investment two years later. But you know what? You have to invest daily. Right as me and Myrna were getting serious, and Myrna's my wife, right as we were getting serious in, in marriage, I love to hunt and fish. I love to hunt. And this weekend's opening day dove season. And I like to hunt, right? And so right as we were getting together, I had saved up my money. I would save every week. I'd put money away, and I was going to buy a shotgun, a Benelli Extrema II shotgun, right? I was going to buy it. I had saved my money for it. And I was watching that, that account grow. As I was getting enough money to buy 
the shotgun that I so wanted. And then I remember hanging out with Myrna. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I can, I can marry this woman. Actually, I think I am going to marry this woman. And I looked at my bank account, and in my ring fund, I had zero money. But my shotgun fund was fully funded. I was like, wow, I mean, here goes like another year of saving. I said, you know what? I hung out with her one more time. I said, yeah, she's it. She's the one. But before I could make a proper decision, I had to go visit the shotgun one more time. So I made a trip over to Academy. I had to make sure I was doing the right thing. It's a big investment. And so I go and I hold that gun and it whispers to me and I whisper back to it. And as I put it away, I whispered, one day. And I put it back <laughs> on the shelf. And that Italian beauty is still waiting for me there. But let me tell you something. I went that day. I went to the jewelry store and I bought a ring. I bought it down. I said, you know what, everything I got I'm putting in it. I bought that ring down. And about three weeks later, I proposed to my wife. See, I made an investment daily. I made an investment. And I finally, I said, you know what? I'm going to put that ring on your finger. And I'm going to invest in our relationship. And let me tell you something. The investment that I made initially, 11 and a half years ago, has proven itself and grown exponentially. We got two kids, two great-looking kids. Got a beautiful marriage, an amazing wife. But you know what? That daily investment. Let me tell you something. As you begin to invest in people, you might not see it come to fruition right away. You know what? They might leave your small group and you see them six, seven years later. Say, you know what? Had you not invested in my wife and I when you did, we wouldn't be together. Had you not prayed for my son when we needed it, let me tell you something. He might not be alive today. Had you not prayed over that job that I got, had you not prayed over my healing, had you not done this, had you not done that, had you not invested in me, probably wouldn't be the man or woman I am today. Let me tell you something. Going all in takes a daily investment. But it's an investment, let me tell you something, that will prove worthwhile. So we're going to test you and we'll close with this. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, daily... We work it out. Our salvation, we work it out. Let me tell you something. Going all in is a daily investment. If you would stand up all across the sanctuary this morning and close your eyes and bow your heads as we close out. As we close out this morning, I want to give you an opportunity right where you're at to make an all-in type decision. To actually make the ultimate all-in decision. As Jesus went all-in for you, as Jesus took a cross for you, as He bore that cross, spent three days in the grave, what was that third day He defeated sin, death, Jesus went all in for you because he sees value in who you are. Because you are his. Scripture says you are to be a co-heir with Christ. We have an opportunity. As Jesus went all in for you, taking that cross. You have an opportunity 
to go all in with him. The book of Romans, it says if we would believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that he is the son of the living God, then you shall be saved. It's really that simple. See, before Jesus took the cross, there was no way for us to enter to heaven. But the moment Jesus came and was that perfect sacrifice, it then ripped the veil and afforded us an opportunity to spend eternity with him. I said, if you be honest with yourself, if you be honest with the Lord, be honest with me, you'd say, Pastor Jonathan, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never gone all in in a relationship with Jesus. And I'd like to do that this morning. And then what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity to do that. We're not going to make you do anything strange or weird, but just right where you're at, just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to simply lift your hand and you say, Pastor John, just pray for me. Then what we'll do is as an entire congregation, we'll pray with you. We'll pray with you that, that the Holy Spirit will begin to fill you and that salvation will come to you. As according to Romans chapter 8, just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So if there's anyone in here this morning say, Pastor Jonathan, you know what, I'm going all in. I'm giving Jesus my heart this morning. You know what? I'm going to do my best to live for him. If there's anybody here this morning and say, that's me, Pastor John, pray for me. I'm going to give you five seconds. Just slip your hand up right where you're at. If there's anybody in the room this morning, say, that's me, Pastor John, pray for me. I see hands. You can put them down anymore. Say, that's me, Pastor John, please pray for me. I'll give you three more seconds. Three, two, one. You can put your hands down. And a number of hands go up this morning. This is what I want us to do. I want everybody to say this prayer with me. Before we say this prayer, I want to preface it with this. There's nothing special about the prayer. There's not a certain way you have to form and fashion it. There's nothing like that. All that matters is if you mean it. All that matters is if you, if you believe it. So if you mean it and you believe it this morning, then let me tell you something. I believe as scripture says, that you will be saved this morning. So I want to have the whole congregation repeat after me and say this. Say, Jesus, today, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I pray right now that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Jesus, I promise to do my best to live for you. Lord, I pray you fill me with the joy that's uncontainable. I pray you pray peace over me. Lord Jesus, that no longer will I wonder if I am yours. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. I'm going to pray over us. Jesus, we love you, Lord. Father God, I thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, as heaven is rejoicing, Father God, over those who have just committed their lives to you. And Lord, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, for those who are going all in for you, Father God, who are removing the excuses, moving past their fears, and Lord Jesus, they're going all in for you. Lord, I pray you bless them. Lord, I pray you give them courage and boldness. Lord Jesus, as they pursue an all-in relationship with you, that Father God, Lord, it'd be the best, craziest thing they've ever experienced. It would be the thing 
that they had been missing. We love you, Jesus. We pray all of these things in your holy and your precious name. Amen.